Amen? Do you have your Bible? You're going to be using your Bible today. I promise you this. You're going to walk away from this study uh, tremendously blessed. You know, this past weekend, I was down in Southern California. I baptized a young person I had been working with during the summer, during our Teen Bible Academy program. And I also got to preach Friday night, Saturday, at a, uh, at a church full of uh, South Asians. And it was a very blessed time. And I shared that topic that I shared with us uh, the last time I preached, which was about hellfire. God's love revealed in hellfire. And we found out a lot of truths about hellfire that just really recentered our focus upon Jesus. Can you say amen to that? But folks, we're just scratching the surface. If there's ever a time to study the character of God, it is now. Can you say amen to that? It is now. It is now. Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer as we jump into this message. We're going to go up this rapid fire, all right? So let's bow our heads right now. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the stillness, Lord. Thank you, God, that we can just linger in your presence right now. To be still and to know that you are God. Father, we want to worship you today. We did in music and giving, but now in the word. We pray and ask that during this time, you draw our hearts and mind to heaven. Father, we pray as we go through the word of God, as we do this Bible study, we will see the power of the word of God. Thank you, Jesus, for being with us. We pray for that present blessing. In your holy name we pray. Amen. 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 Now, it's very interesting. You know, I'm taking a couple classes at the uh, college, local college, and uh, there's something that's always happened to me ever since I've, you know, gone to school, and it's this. Oftentimes, in the very beginning of the class, the teacher will take what's called a roll call. You know what a roll call is, right? It's where the teacher will make sure that you're in class. And she'll go through all the various names, like Steve, uh, Steve Azevedo, Sam Smith, uh, and, and she'll, get to, she'll go through all the names, and this happens every single time. I always predict it, because it always happens. She's about to pronounce my name. She'll go through all the H's, the I's, and J's, and then she'll get right down to the K's, and now Kanda. And right before she's about to pronounce my name, oftentimes she'll stare at the paper, the teacher, and she'll start scratching her head, look a little bit deeper at the paper, and think to herself, hmm. And usually that's when I raise my hand, I said, my name is Anel Kanda. And what's funny is sometimes they'll continue to uh, attempt to pronounce the name, and they'll use an Indian accent, too. Anel Kanda, is he here today? And it's just very interesting. It happens every single time. Whenever there's a pause, that means my name's about to be called. And this happens without fail every time, even in college. I, I always notice it, too. And it's very interesting. I just have a very unusual name, Anel Kanda. My first name actually is a Hindu name. In the Hindu culture, what takes place whenever there's a, a male child that's, that's about to be born, a man will go to the Hindu priest, and he will get a, a name from the Hindu priest. And uh, what the Hindu priest does is basically get him the, give him the first letter of the name, and he goes back, and he'll have to name a name based upon that first letter. So obviously, my name started with a what? A, so that's what he gave my dad. 
What's very interesting is there's so many Hindu priests in India, if you don't like the letter that you're getting, you can go to another Hindu priest until you get the letter you want. And my brother-in-law did this. So uh, this, uh, when he was naming, naming his son, uh, he got a, a bunch of different letters he didn't like until he found a Hindu priest that got the letter he wanted, which was D. And that's why my nephew's name is Devin. And so it's very interesting. Names are just unusual. They tell us a lot about ourselves, right? Does anybody here have an unusual name? And don't say Sam or Bill. I'm talking unusual, like where the teacher actually has to pause and think about this, okay? Who here has an unusual name? What's your name? What is it? Doretta. Okay, very good. How many people have ever heard of the word Doretta, the name Doretta before? Okay, a couple. Okay, who else has a very unusual name here? Come on, there's got to be somebody here who has an unusual name. How about you? Chandra, right? Okay, C-H-A-N-D-R-A, right? O-A, okay, well, that is very unusual, okay. Anybody else have an unusual name? How about you? Sappenfield, yeah, that is unusual, right? You don't hear that. How about you? Say it again. Leamy Beth. Okay. Filipino? Okay. Anybody else? Anybody else have a very unusual name here? Who's got the hand raised? How about you? Marchana. Marchana, how do you spell that? That is unusual. It's a beautiful name, very unusual. All right, anybody else? How about you? Georgine. Georgine, okay. Anybody else? Who's got a, 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 an unusual name? How about you? Maybe? Yes, that, our last names are very unusual, right? We all have unusual last names. Anybody else? How about you? Michael. That's okay, Michael. <laughs> Still a beautiful name, right? It's with an O-L, right? Good, good. Anybody have a name without vowels? Do you know somebody who has a name without vowels? You're like, is there a name without vowels? Go to India, I'm sure you'll find one there. <laughs> Here's the thing, folks. When it comes to names, names are very important, okay? Names in the Bible were more than just the, the Billy, the, the, the James, the, the Smith. When they named somebody, it was based upon a characteristic. Names always meant character throughout the entire scripture. You say, I already know that. We're going to be taking a look at somebody's name, and that name was a perfect representation of who this individual was. And let's go to the book of Genesis right now. The book of Genesis, we're going to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. We're going to be looking at a certain individual who was, very, who was given a very interesting name, and this name was a fitting representation of who this individual turned out to be. We're going to the book of Genesis chapter 25, and if you're there, go ahead and say amen. Genesis chapter 25, and let's go ahead and start with verse 21. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his what? Wife, because she was, what? Barren, and the Lord granted his plea. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children, what's that next word? Don't forget that word. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, 
Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the what? Younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name what? Esau, which means hairy. The child was hairy, so they named him Harry, not H-A-R-R-Y, the other Harry, right? Let's keep going. Verse 26, afterward, his brother came out, his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, right? Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Now take a good look at this, okay? Take a good look at how these names came about. Esau came out of the mother's womb, and she, he was what? Harry. And the mother looked at the child and said, his name is going to be Harry, Esau. Then the next child was coming out. And as he was coming out, he popped his hand out and held on to his brother's heel. And his name was called? His name was called what? And what does Jacob mean? It means heel holder or supplanter. What's a supplanter? Someone who's trying to take the place. So pay attention to this, okay? This is very, very important, okay? Take a good look at the origin of Jacob. Esau, was, Esau came out first, and right before the mother was about to take him away, all of a sudden the hand shot out and was holding on to Esau's, what? Heel. This child was up to no good. He came out. And that's why his mom named him, all right, your name is going to be Jacob, supplanter. Somebody who's trying to take the place of somebody else. Heel holder. You want to be first. And she probably chuckled like a lot of mothers do, and everyone chuckled. Cute little baby being born next to the other cute little hairy baby. And so they're looking at these babies, and they're just looking at the names, probably chuckling to themselves, seeing themselves, these are just cute names. But little did they know, and little did the mother know, that she was giving a prophecy. She was giving a prophecy. And Jacob began to grow up. Jacob was a man of the field, or excuse me, a man of the herds. He was a shepherd. And his brother Esau, the hairy man, was out in the forest and he would hunt. He was the man of the field. These two brothers had different temperaments. They had different personalities and they grew up. And you can imagine the tension that probably existed between these two brothers. And as these brothers grew up, the father grew older and older. And the father was going blind. And he knew that he lost his facilities, or faculties, you could say. And what he was trying to do, he said, wait a second, before I pass away, I want to make sure that these young men, this young man, the, the next one who's supposed to become the leader of the tribe, that he's prepared for this. I want to call him into my tent, and I'm going to pray a very special prayer of inheritance upon him. And the individual that I'm going to lay my hand upon and say this special blessing, he will be blessed by God and he will be blessed by the people and he will be the future leader of this tribe. And sure enough, the day comes when, Esau, when Isaac is ready for this event to take place and he said, Esau, I have something very special to tell you, but before I tell you, I want you to go out to the field, I want you to go out and I want you to go hunt for some food, bring it right back to me. 
And so Esau takes his bow and arrow and he goes out into the woods. Now Jacob and his mom hear about this. And who was the younger one, Jacob or Esau? Well, Jacob was, right? And so he knew that he wasn't going to get the inheritance blessing. And he says, wait a second, what am I going to do? His mother was very shrewd and she says, Jacob, I want to make sure you succeed in life. And I'm going to stop at nothing to make sure that you succeed. So what happens? She tells Jacob, come over here, Jacob. I'm going to wrap a piece of uh, cloth around your arm. And it's going to come from an animal and it's going to feel, it's going to be coarse and it's going to be hairy. And when you go in to see your blind father, Isaac, he's going to reach out and he's going to feel to make sure that you're his son, Isaac. Esau, sorry. And Esau, and when he does, he's going to give a blessing, but he's not going to give the blessing to Esau. He's going to end up giving it to Jacob. Now, I need two individuals right here. Steve, could you come up here for a second? I need Stephen Azevedo. Steve Azevedo is 18 years old, but, you know, he's growing a lot faster than other males do. All right? Now, I need somebody who doesn't have a lot of hair. Robbie, why don't you come up here? All right, this is very important, you guys. I'm not making fun. I'm illustrating something. Okay, Steve, do you mind rolling up your sleeve? And Robbie, your sleeve's already rolled up. Okay, you can put your one arm down. All right. Now, Steve's got a, a fairly hairy arm, and Robbie's got a, a, no hairs on his arms. And what takes place is they, Esau was supposed to go in, and he was supposed to bring that dish so uh, his father Isaac could bless him. So he goes out hunting, and what takes place is Jacob decides to come in. And you can imagine the situation. Isaac's there, and he's blind. Well, let's find out what takes place when this happens. Everyone, take your Bible. Go all the way. You can remain right here. Genesis chapter 27. And let's go to verse 18. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Now pay attention to this question. Who are you, my son? Isaac was a little bit confused. His hearing was probably going out. He says, wait a second. You don't sound like my son Esau. You sound like my other son. He says, who are you? And he's probably looking in the direction or he's facing the direction of Jacob. And you can imagine Jacob thinking to himself, uh-oh, I'm in big trouble. But he feels like he's gone too far. Watch what happens next. Verse 19, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Jacob lied about his identity, and watch what happens. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. Verse 20, but Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? You just left. And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please Come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. Verse 22, so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him, and he said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of what? Esau. Verse 23, and he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. Watch verse 24. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. I am. So you can imagine this as the, the blind old Isaac is reaching out. 
to, 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 feel the son of, to feel his son Isaac, or to feel his son Esau, he reaches out, and it doesn't sound like Esau, it sounds like Jacob. But when he reaches out, he begins to feel the... That's coarse hair you got right there. And he says, there's only one man in my camp like this. It's Esau. Thank you very much. So what he does, in the next few, pass, next few verses, he then pronounces the very special blessing upon who? Jacob. Jacob gets the very special blessing. The inheritance blessing. And by the way, there was two types of blessing. There was the inheritance blessing where you get all the wealth of the camp. And then there was the spiritual blessing. And so he places this blessing upon Jacob. And all of a sudden Esau comes back into the camp later on. You can read the chapter later. And he says, Dad, you can bless me. And his dad said, wait a second. What are you talking about? I already did. And Esau said, no, you didn't. I just came back from the woods. You can bless me. And his dad said, no, it wasn't you. And Esau knew at that very moment who it was who deceived his father. And who was it? Jacob. Jacob. And that's why Esau says to Jacob, your name is rightly so. You are Jacob. You are a supplanter. You're always trying to take the place of me. And all of a sudden, the tension began in the camp. One side, you had Esau. The other side, you had Jacob. Esau said to Jacob, when dad dies, I'm going to kill you. This was no just sibling rivalry. This was something where there was a, a potential homicide that was about to take place. Esau was angry. I'm going to take your life. You take everything from me, I'm going to murder you when my dad is done. So you can imagine the tension that existed in this camp. Isaac, still not done yet, decides at that moment, I better separate my sons. So he sends his son Jacob out. And he says, Jacob, I want you to go out to your relatives and I want you to go find a wife. And on the way there, Jacob, you can imagine feeling alone, desolate, and forsaken by God, feeling that his sin has shut him out from everything that he knew, begins to make that long journey. And it was there that God revealed himself to Jacob and said, I am the Lord God of your father Abraham and Isaac. And I'm going to bless you, Jacob. It's very interesting. The moment that Jacob felt utterly lost and forsaken, God was telling him, look, I'm still here. I'm still around, Jacob. I'm still with you. Now, you may think to yourself, Anel, where are you going with this? You're going to see a surprise at the very end of this story. You're going to see something very interesting at the very end of this. Praise the Lord. Amen? God's word is like that. Just pay attention. You're going to see the buildup. So Jacob finds the woman of his dream, and what's her name? Wrong. He was drunk. He was dreamy. Who turned out to be his wife in the beginning? Leah, right? But who did he really want? Rachel, right? He really wanted Rachel. I want you to pay attention to this. Jacob, for the rest of his life, ends up in a life of deception. And the deception did not come from him. Rather, the deceptions were given to him. Throughout the rest of his life, all the way till the day he died, pay attention. You will find out that many people deceived Jacob. Jacob was a man who was known to have tragedies 
And those tragedies many times were based upon lies that people had told him. And you can imagine him throughout the rest of his life. Though he knew he was forgiven by God, he never forgot the things that he did. And so Jacob begins to spend time in his, in his uncle's camp. And there he spends a lot of time, more than 14 years. He's working hard. He has two wives. His, his flocks and sheep, they're growing more and more. He's getting more and more independent. He's finally being able to take care of himself. He's learned a lot of lessons. You can imagine his hair is probably turning more gray. You can imagine he probably is not so quick. He's become more patient, more wiser, more mature. And Jacob is changed. He's transformed from the young, foolish man that he used to be to something else. He's become a real man, a man of God. So he decides to leave his father's home, or excuse me, his uncle's home, to head towards his father's home. But he knows there's going to be some problems there because who wants to kill him still? Esau still wants to kill him. Esau finds out about his brother's return home. And as the brother Jacob is making his way back, Esau with 400 men begins to race towards Jacob because he wants to end the life of this traitor. This man who was the supplanter. So as he shows up, as he's getting ready to get closer and closer to Jacob, all of a sudden Jacob says, wait a second, hey, before I'm about to be approached by Esau and potentially killed, I'm going to divide up my camp. And he begins to divide up his camp. One part of his camp go this way, another part of his camp go this way. And there the Bible says he was alone with God in the darkness while he was waiting for his brother Esau approaching, who was approaching with all his horses, with the man with swords and spears ready to wipe out this man's life. And you can imagine Jacob thinking to himself of that one dumb mistake that he made when he was younger that caused all of this mess. You can imagine the devil right there speaking to Jacob and saying, you are forsaken by God. And now you're going to be punished for your sins, for everything that you did. You are a failure, Jacob. And there Jacob is alone in the dark waiting for Esau to show up. And watch what the Bible says right here. Take your Bible, go all the way. Genesis chapter 32, starting with verse 24. Look what the Bible says. Then Jacob was left, what? Alone. In the darkness. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of what? Until the breaking of what? Until the breaking of day. Okay, can you imagine this? There Jacob is alone, waiting for his brother to show up, and there he is, just in the alone in the darkness, probably walking over some rocks and just seeing what's about to happen, maybe seeing the shadowy figures that can happen oftentimes when you're up late at night. And there he is, paying attention, waiting for the footsteps, and all of a sudden this hand all of a sudden touches his shoulder, and he thinks it's the enemy, and he begins to wrestle, and there's a wrestling match that begins to ensure, ensue. And so as they begin to wrestle and tussle, the Bible says that the match continued until the breaking of the day or dawn. But watch what happens. Now when he saw he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. When they were going through this wrestling match, all of a sudden this being, whoever was wrestling with Jacob, 
reaches out and touches the hip of Jacob. And Jacob immediately, immediately begins to feel his hip out of socket. And he goes down and he realizes, wait a second, this is no man I'm wrestling with. This is no ordinary man. This isn't Esau. This is somebody else. This is something else. And as this wrestling match continues, Jacob realizes that he's not wrestling a man. He's wrestling divinity now. But pay attention to this. I want you to notice the pattern because the pattern is going to be key. Verse 25, and when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day, what? Breaks. This being realized that Jacob, with almost supernatural strength, wasn't going to give up and wasn't going to let go. And all of a sudden, this mighty being says, let me go. The day is about to what? Break. I want you to pay attention to this. This is very important, okay? Pay attention to what this angel or this being is saying. He is saying this to him. Let me go because the light's about to shine. Think about what he's saying to Jacob. Let me go because the light's about to come. The sun's about to come out. What in the world was he talking about? Let's continue reading. But he said, I will not let you go unless you what? Did Jacob know that this was divinity he was wrestling with? Yes or no? Yes, that's why he said, unless you what? Bless me. He knew that he wasn't wrestling a man. He was wrestling God himself. The word angel simply means messenger. That's all it means. He was wrestling God himself, and there he was. He was wrestling Jesus specifically. Can you imagine this? He was wrestling Jesus, and he realized this was Jesus because all of a sudden, in the midst of the wrestling match, Jesus sticks out his finger, touches the side of his hip, and all of a sudden, Jacob realized, whoa, I'm not wrestling a man now. This is God. And he says, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to hold on. I am not going to let you go. I'm going to struggle. I am not going to let you go until you what? Until you what? Bless me. Pay attention to that. It's very important. He says, I'm not going to let you go until you what? Bless me. And all of a sudden, watch what happens. So he said to him, so he said to him what? Did God know his name? Did God know his name? So why is God asking? And by the way, last time that question was asked, what did Jacob say? Esau. Pay attention to this. What God was saying to him, you want my blessing? You want to be blessed by me? Who are you really? At that moment, Jacob could have lied. He could have come up with any other name. But you know what he said? When God asked him, Jacob, who are you? Who are you? Watch what Jacob says. He said, what? 
do you think he was just pronouncing the name Jacob or he knew what he was saying? What do you think he was really saying? He said, who are you? And you know what Jacob said? I'm the deceiver. Jacob, did no long, he no longer appropriated blame to this person or to that person. He was now admitting who he really was, and he says, you know who I am, God? You know who I am. I'm a sinner. I'm a failure before you, and you know it, God, and so do I. There is no hiding this. I have no excuses. You know who I am, God. I am the deceiver. And you know who else is called the deceiver in the Bible? The devil himself. You know what Jacob was essentially doing? He's like, I'm no better than the devil himself. But watch. Watch what happens next. It's very important. And he said, your name shall no longer be called what? No longer be called what? Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with who? God and with who? And with men and have what? And have what? Won or prevailed. He says, all right, your new name is no longer going to be Jacob. It's going to be what? Israel, which means what? God what? It essentially means God wrestlers. He gave him the name Israel. He said, all right, your new name is no longer Jacob. It's not deceiver. It is now wrestler. God wrestler. Someone who holds on to God and will not let him go. Can you say amen to that? And by the way, when you are becoming part of Israel, you know what you are saying about yourself? You're somebody who wrestles with God. When you're saying, I'm a spiritual Israelite, you know what you're saying? I wrestle with God. I'm part of the camp of Israel. I wrestle with God. Now you think to yourself, and now I probably heard this before, you really aren't saying something new to me. I love when people say that. Pay attention to the next part. Verse 29, then Jacob asked and said, tell me your what? Ah. Jacob doesn't want to leave this divine being alone. And he said, all right, thank you for the blessing, but I have one more question for you. Pay attention to this. He said, tell me your, your name. Your what? Your what? Your name. Watch what happens. Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. Now this being give his name, what did he essentially say to Jacob? You say, why did he ask? That's what he said, right? But what was he essentially saying? Jacob, you already know the answer to that. You know how we know that? Because in the very next verse, Jacob said, I've seen God face to face. Did you get it? Now you think to yourself, I oh, know, that, that's very interesting. I didn't see that part, but wait a second. We haven't got to the awesome part yet. He's wrestling with him, and all of a sudden, at the very end of the wrestling match, Jacob says, by the way, what's your name? And that being says, why are you asking that question? You, you already know. Did Jacob already know who God was, yes or no? Absolutely. Throughout his life, he saw God work in powerful ways. Throughout his life, 
He saw God deliver him throughout his life. He saw God reach in and help him and deliver him from the things that were hurting him. Throughout his life, Jacob knew who God was. And when he was saying, God, show me who you are, God said, what are you talking about? You already know. You already know who I am. Why are you even asking about my name? Folks, he was telling Jacob, no, you already know my character, Jacob. This is, you don't even need to ask that question. You have seen my faithfulness to you. Folks, can you praise God for that? Now let's bring it to our time now. Take your Bible, go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. You're going to see something very interesting right here. Jeremiah chapter 30, starting with verse 4. Are we all there? Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of what? Trembling of fear and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. You ever seen a man in labor with a child? No? If you do, you're very unusual. But watch what God is saying. You ever seen a man in labor with his child? By the way, what's a woman look like when she's about to give labor? I'm not talking about her face. I'm talking about where are her hands. She's holding her belly, right? She's, like, she's screaming. And God is asking the question, you ever seen a man like this before? Then he says, you're about to. What? Look at the rest of the verse. Whether a man is ever in labor with his child, so... Why do I see every man with his hand on his loins like a woman in his labor? And all faces turn pale. Verse 7, alas, for that day is great, so none is like it. Well, what day are you talking about? It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Let me ask you a question. Did Jeremiah exist prior to the time of Jacob or before? Or after, excuse me. He existed after. Notice what he's saying. Jeremiah was saying, look, there's going to be coming something very interesting in the future, and it's called the what? Jacob's time of trouble. This is very important. He, Jeremiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was pointing the Israelites to understand something that even they themselves did not quite understand, but something that God was pointing to, a day that is full of fear, a day of trembling, a day that is going to scare the daylights out of everybody. And he says, alas, there is no day like this that is coming upon the earth. It is Jacob's time of trouble. Folks, let me ask you a question. When was Jacob's time of trouble? When he deceived his dad? Was that his time of trouble? When was his time of trouble? When he was alone in the darkness, wrestling with God and waiting Esau to come destroy him. Folks, I want you to understand here, and I wish we had more time to talk about this. Maybe some other sermon will be in the future. But the Bible is talking about something very interesting. It's talking about a future event that's going to occur that's going to hit God's people smack in the face. It's called Jacob's time of trouble. What it's referring to is going to be part of a progression of an end-time events that are going to take place. The Bible talks about in Revelation 12, 13, and 14, a time where Protestantism within the USA will reach out across the sea and clasp hands with Catholicism. The Bible teaches that one day there's going to be a union of church and state powers. Laws are going to be set up. 
As Seventh-day Adventists, we understand that there are going to be Sunday laws that are set up. We've heard this most of our lives. And the Bible teaches that that time is going to be a time of fear and of pain, but that's not Jacob's time of trouble. There's going to be laws that are going to be set up. So what we have is a union of church and state. Then we have what's called the Sunday laws. And it's during that time that probation begins to close. As the Sunday law starts in the U.S. And Ellen White says other countries will follow suit what takes place. It starts in the U.S. and it begins to go over the entire world. But as it's going through the entire world, probation is closing. The door is closing. The door is closing. The door is closing. The door is closing. Now when we talk about probation, it's not the door that God is closing that the righteous or the wicked can't go in or out. God is simply affirming the decisions of humanity and says, look, there's no point. They can't change their mind. The world at that moment is polarized into two camps, the righteous and the wicked. The wicked know where they stand and the righteous know where they stand. They're not interested in each other. There's no confusion. God has made his truth known to the entire world and as this begins to spread over the entire world, probation is closing. Now you say, wait a minute, is it just going to be the very fact that there's going to be a Sunday law, we're going to see about it on TV, and then make a decision, boom, probation's closed? No. Experiences that will come along with that event are going to try God's people like never before. Try this world. There's going to be situations that are going to put people in one or two camps. And once the door of probation closes, the Bible then teaches seven terrifying plagues come upon the entire earth. But it is during that time that God's people will experience something very unusual as the world is falling apart left and right, sores, the sun scorching the world, the earth is in its final stages as destruction is happening. Thousands of people are being wiped out. Death is happening upon this entire earth and we're just seeing cataclysmic events like never before. God's people are going to be huddled together and they're fearful for their lives. And at that moment, the devil begins to deceive through the, through the spirits and through miracles and begins to tell the wicked, you need to destroy these rebels. And what happens is all the wicked begin to mount up. And as they begin to come together, and by the, Bible, by the way, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 16, verse 16, they gathered together in a place called what? Armageddon. Do you know what the word Armageddon means? It means mountain of the congregation. That's what it means. By the way, who else wanted to sit in the mountain of congregation? Isaiah 14. Who else wanted to sit in the mountain of congregation? Satan. Where's he wanting to sit? Where God's people are. So what happens is all the wicked's arrayed around the righteous. And it is during that time that the righteous begin to just to sense this immense darkness in their life. And they're alone and they are, they're pleading with God and they're wrestling with God. And they're struggling with him. There doesn't seem to be any outward sign that God is still going to deliver them. And Ellen White says, the realization of that event is going to be worse than any anticipation. And if you want to get a taste of it, just open up the great controversy. Check out the last few chapters and you say, wait a second, I don't want to see what that's talking about. Folks, you need to have courage. You need to know what these things are going to, are, that are about to take place. You need to know. God's people are going to be thrust in a situation where they will be fearful for their lives. You ever had somebody who wanted to kill you? Imagine the entire world wanting to take your life. 
And part of that group is going to consist of friends and family. People you once loved and knew. People even sitting next to you. Folks, I want you to understand something. This time is called the time of Jacob's trouble. It will be a time when it seems like the wicked are fast approaching and we will be wrestling with God and we will be pleading with God and God's people are going to hold on and they're going to be praying and they're going to be struggling with God. And folks, I want to tell you this, unless you learn to struggle with God now, you will never then learn to struggle with God. Amen? Unless you learn to pray right now and get on your knees. You're never going to learn then to pray on your knees. Amen? Folks, one thing God's been convicting me on, I have to say this to you guys because I care about you. He's teaching me that I need to get on my knees when I pray. You say, wow, I've been taught that in my entire life. Folks, I want you to understand something. You need to humble yourself when you pray. You need to learn humility when we're praying, and you need to not let go of God when you are praying. We live in a day and age where we're now softened in our prayer. We get a toothache. We think God's forsaken us. We need to struggle and pray for people. We don't even know how to pray, talk to Jesus anymore. We need to have the faith of Jacob that does not let go of God until he blesses us. Can you say amen to that? Do you have faith like that? You know, Jesus, when he was in his garden, that garden of Gethsemane, when he was going through his time of trouble, did he cling to his father? He never let go of the father. But guess what? There was no light for him that day. There'll be light for you, but there wasn't light for him. Folks, if there's ever a time that God's people need to learn how to pray, it's right now. And I hate to say this, but I love you guys. Not that part. But it saddens me that this church isn't more of a church of, of prayer. You know, I heard one of my favorite preacher friends, he says this, you want to know the spiritual temperature of a church? It's not who shows up on Sabbath to hear the sermon. It's who's there during prayer meeting during the week. He said, I can't go in there, I got so much stuff going on. Folks, I want you to understand something. You've got to learn to pray with the brethren. You've got to learn to pray with them. And you've got to pray that Jesus will humble your heart. Folks, we've got to struggle with God. We can't let go of him. We're letting go of him too quickly. We're releasing our grip. And he's like, hold on. The light's about to come. Do you know that when Jacob was wrestling with that angel, or that being, and that being was saying the light's about to break, you know what he was actually doing? He wasn't discouraging him. He was encouraging him. Light's about to come. Light's about to come. By the way, take your Bible, go to Psalms 46. I want you to see something very interesting. We got one more verse after this, and we're one more psalm after this, and we are done. Then we go into beautiful communion. Are we all there? Pay attention to verse 11. By the way, actually close your Bible. Keep your finger there, but don't read your Bible. Do you know what name is mentioned more times than any other name in the book of Psalms? Besides God. You always win with that, right? You know what name is mentioned more times than any other time? Jacob. Do you know how Jacob is used throughout the book of Psalms? The God of Jacob. Do you know what the psalmists were saying when they were saying the God of Jacob throughout the, the Old Testament? You know what they were saying? They were saying, Lord, if we can identify with you 
and your experience with somebody we can identify with? Somebody who struggled with you. That's who we can identify with, God. They didn't choose the mighty Abraham or Moses. They didn't choose, you know, Elijah. They chose somebody who struggled and was weak before God. They said, the God of Jacob, Lord, you remember how you work with Jacob? Remember how you work with that deceiver? I'm the same way. Now watch this. Verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our what? Refuge, right? Take a good look at verse 1. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in what? Trouble. Look at verse 2. Therefore we will not fear even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea. That's language right out of Revelation chapter 6, right before the second coming. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. She, God will help her just at the break of... Did you see it? Psalm 46 is just language out of Genesis. And the world is falling apart and we're praying to the God of Jacob. God says he'll help at the break of... He says, don't let go. Don't let go. The light's about to shine. Can you say amen? Are you struggling with something in your life today? You know what God is saying to you? Don't let go. The light's about to come. Are you struggling with your sins? You know what God is saying to you? Hold on. Don't let go. The light's about to what? Light's about to come. The God of Jacob, he will help her just at the break of dawn. He was telling this. He was telling this to the people of God. Hang on. The light's about to shine. And folks, there are many times in our life where we give up on God, but God is saying to us, do not give up on me. Hold on. And though the wind is coming, though the storm is blowing, hold on. Don't let go of me. Can you say amen to that? God is encouraging you today, folks. Whatever your struggles may be, whatever your prayers may be, God is saying to you today, hold on. Can you say amen to that? Hold on. Now take your Bible, go to Psalms 91. This is the last psalm. Remember we talked about the seven last plagues? Talked about that when the plagues are falling? And the world is, is falling apart? And God's people will be struggling with the God of Jacob? Look at verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my... Refuge in my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Look at verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right side, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Verse 9. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor any plague shall come near your... Now look at verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I have set him on high because he has known. What? Amen. He has known my what? Did Jacob know God's name? Did Jacob know God's name? Yes or no? Jacob knew God's name. He knew God's character. And those who will be delivered during the time of the plagues are those who know him. 
who know his name. That's why the 144,000 says they have their father's name written in their forehead. Do you know God's name today? Amen? Do you know God's name? Is there something in your life where you need to know God's name, a situation, a struggle in your life? And God is saying, you are on the perfect day to be here. I'm going to do something special. You be part of this communion service. You're going to see what I do in your life. Hang on. Don't you let go of me, God says. Don't you give up. Because I never gave up on you. Amen? Amen. God never gave up on us. Amen? Amen? And he says to us, don't you give up on me. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Folks, we're about to be dismissed for foot washing. Challenge you to stay here. Participate in this. Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer and then we'll dismiss and go out and then come back in to experience the next part of communion. Father in heaven, Lord, things are happening in our life. You are preparing us for what's coming upon this world. Lord, help us not to be asleep. Lord, wake us up. Wake us up, Lord. Jesus, we pray and ask that we would understand the God of Jacob more, that we would learn to struggle with you for people, Lord. Not just for ourselves, but for the, the lost around us, Lord. We would learn to struggle, God, for our sons, for our daughters, for our family. God, we would learn to plead with you, Jesus, until you bless us. God, give us the faith of Jacob. Oh, Lord. If we're not doing this now, how will we ever do it in the future, God? We pray as we participate in the foot washing and the communion, Lord. God, that you would begin this new work in our hearts. That we would be willing to pray and plead. Supplicate the throne of God. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.